Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Good morning. We're so uh, just grateful this morning to be and excited uh, to be gathered together again for those who are in person, maybe those who are here who haven't been able to be here for a few weeks, and is just as well equally excited just for those who are continuing to just join us online or if you're tuning in later in the week. And uh, today we're wrapping up our short two-week series that we've been going through called Overheard where we've been kind of thinking about what happens when we overhear certain things, whether those are positive or negative things. And specifically, we've been exploring what it looks like to be shaped by overhearing the prayers of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, when I think about overhearing something, I think of the fact that when we overhear a conversation between two people, it almost always reveals something about their relationship with each other, as well as their relationship or their posture towards others. And for me, two examples really come to mind right away. One is I just think of my parents. I think of how my sisters and I, you know, we're at home with my parents, and my parents, maybe you have a parent like this or you're like this, but they often thought they were having a conversation that we couldn't hear. They didn't realize how often we could overhear maybe snippets of what they were saying or things that they were talking about. And as I think about this, I think about how often it revealed, you know, just their, as they're talking about worries or plans or dreams, it revealed something about their relationship as well as just their care for my sisters and I. Uh, but then another kind of memory that comes to mind as I think of overhearing a conversation is uh, when I was growing up and playing hockey. And I was really kind of lucky, blessed to, to be able to play a lot of hockey on teams growing up. And I remember specifically this one year, this conversation that happened between, that I overheard in the dressing room between a father and his son. And it was right at the beginning of the season. And as we're preparing and just getting to know each other, I'm sitting close to this father who's helping his son get ready. And he tells his son that, like, this year you're going to score a lot of goals and you're going to do this, but just don't pass to anybody. Like, just hog the puck as much as you can. And I remember being, like, so thrown off and confused by this conversation I was overhearing that this father was telling his son, like, in order to kind of get a name for yourself and be successful and score goals, that you should not look to your teammates. Like, you should not think about passing, but instead, to really be successful, you should just hog the puck as much as you can. And I just remember, like, in this moment thinking that this really revealed kind of this idea that this father had that the son should almost seek glory for himself in, in a way that's at the expense of his own teammates, myself included, in that moment. Um, you know, and over the past few, couple weeks, as we've been thinking about what it means to overhear something, we've really been taking the time just to explore what it looks like when we overhear when Jesus prays for us. And now his prayers to the Father reveals something special about the relationship that he has with God the Father. 
And not only do Jesus' prayers kind of reveal this kind of relationship that he has with God, but they also reveal the posture that they have towards others. The posture that is so different than this conversation that I overheard that day between the father, uh, a dad, and his son. Or anything else that we have in this world because it reveals not only the kind of, again, the kind of love that they share between them, but the kind of love that they have for others and for the world. And overhearing these prayers, as we've been talking about, really shapes us in a way that is so different than anything else we can overhear. And in the Bible, we've been looking at uh, this special prayer that we find in in John's gospel. It's in John uh, chapter 7 we've been looking at where Jesus has been talking to his disciples over a meal together. And now after this meal is finished, he's actually uh, kind of allowing them or letting them overhear now his prayers to God. And uh, we've encouraged you just over this past week to take some time even to just read that prayer on your own and some of the words kind of that Jesus says to his disciples leading up to that prayer. Um, And if you remember last week, Pastor Dom shared about the word glory. And we looked together at how Jesus gives glory not to himself, but he gives glory to God by being obedient to the things that God's calling him to do. And if you missed that last week, you can go back and, and watch that on YouTube. Uh, But now as we shift to this week, we're going to look at the second part of this prayer and what it looks like that we now give glory to the Father. And that we do that by reflecting what God has asked Jesus to do and how Jesus models this for us. And so here's kind of how Jesus continues the prayer that we've been looking at in John 17. We'll have it up on the screen. And he says this. He prays this to to God the Father. He says, Now I am coming to you. I told them, the disciples, I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Wow, what a prayer, right? So much going on there. And I can just imagine, you know, being one of the disciples in this room and hearing Jesus pray this, and they must have been thinking, like, what on earth does this mean for us? Like, all this talk of the world and the evil one and the fact that Jesus is going to go now be with the Father. And I think one of the things that's really hard for the disciples to hear, that's easy for us to miss, is that's the first time that they're overhearing that Jesus is about to leave them. In this prayer, Jesus is preparing his disciples by saying that for the first time, where I'm about to go now, you can't follow me. That you will now have to make sense of what it means to be in this world as I was in this world. And so these disciples are left wrestling with kind of this tension of overhearing something that they're just not ready for. They're left wrestling with the tension of overhearing something that they're not ready to hear because it makes them maybe feel afraid of what Jesus is kind of leaving them to do. Or because it doesn't meet their expectations of even what Jesus, they thought Jesus was coming for in the first place. And then instead of rescuing them from the world, Jesus is leaving them in the world and calling them in in the world to reflect his obedience to the rest of the world in a way that will give glory to God. You know, and I think as, as we think maybe each of us about our own faith and what it means to be in the world, and even at this unique time of history as we think of everything even happening this week, we also really feel the tension of this prayer, don't we? We feel the tension that Jesus is preparing us for something that maybe we don't feel ready for. And we're even left maybe even feeling afraid because it doesn't meet our expectations of how we think God should even help us at this time. We feel the tension that now we're left to navigate what it means to live out our faith in a world of just rapid change 
where there's war and violence and examples of evil around us, and in a world where it's disorienting even to know whether something or to discern whether something's good or bad. And this, you know, part of the prayer, Jesus' prayer that we're looking at really captures maybe this phrase that if you grew up in church, you've, you maybe have heard this before, and it's a phrase that can be used so much that it's sort of become almost a cliche. And the phrase is that we're in the world, but not of the world. Okay, maybe you've heard that before. And, you know, this is actually a really important statement, this idea that we're in the world, not of the world. It is helpful for us. Uh, it's a true statement, and it's helpful uh, for us and f- for understanding our faith with how we interact with the world, that we're called to really engage in the world and be present in a special way, while also understanding that at the same time, God's kingdom and God's ways are not of this world. But it's also a phrase for us that gets tossed around so much that it can be easily confused. I remember the first time I heard this phrase uh, just growing up in church and, tr- and wrestling to make sense of my my faith. I heard it as a teenager at youth or I was at a summer camp. And I remember the first time I heard it, I had no idea what to do with this. I remember thinking like, what does this mean? I have no idea what this means, whether, let alone like what are even to, to do with this? And I remember feeling when I heard this idea to be of the world, in the world, but not of the world, I almost imagined this image of like a line in the sand or, or almost like a tightrope. Like this idea, I was almost supposed to be as close to the line as possible. That was, the, that was kind of the idea, but then to make sure never to kind of go to the other side or fall over the line or I'd like be infected in some way or something. And uh, I just remember like working out what that then meant for how I interacted with people. And I remember like feeling like if I was spending too much time with my non-Christian friends that like after a certain amount of time almost this buzzer would go off in the sky, and it'd be like, okay, now it's time to, like, abort, abort before you get infected or something. Like, this is, like, infected by their evil ways. And I don't know if you, maybe if you grew up in church or even outside of the church and kind of heard of this idea that it's something that you wrestled with as, as well, this idea of being in the world but not of the world. But it's so confusing or easy for us to confuse what it means to, to be in the world and not of the world because partly of this tension that it creates in us. Because of this tension we feel, we're tempted to confuse this by thinking it means to bunker down or to stay away from anyone outside of the church or to keep our children away from the sinners. Or instead, on the other side, it could even lead us to kind of be combative or judgmental or confrontational with anyone who doesn't believe in or know the truth as if we're in like this some kind of cosmic battle with all of those who are in the world. And the biggest complication, I think, for our faith is that when we confuse the idea of what it means to be in the world, but not of the world, we confuse what it means to be holy. We can quickly develop and grow into a sort of an unhealthy view of holiness. And Jesus, as he's praying in a way that he's preparing his disciples to be in the world, he's going to pray that next, that we be made holy. He's going to pray that, and he's going to do this in a way that we overhear what a healthy view of holiness really looks like. This is what he prays. He says, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. So as Jesus prays for God to prepare his followers to be in this world, he prays that he, God, would make us holy. And if you have, maybe you're watching at home or here you have your Bible open with you, your version of the Bible might say, use the word sanctify. 
Like, would you, would you, God, would you sanctify us? And a simple way kind of to understanding both of these words, you know, they mean kind of this idea of that God is unique and set apart in a way that none of us are and that, you know, this idea of sanctifying is like kind of a, a purifying or a cleansing. But maybe the easiest way just for this morning to understand the word holy or sanctify is that it means to be set apart. And if you write down anything or remember anything from this morning, it should really be this. That for Christians, as we think about the idea of holiness, to be holy means to be set apart for the things of God. It doesn't just mean to be set apart, but it means to be set apart for something. And as we pray for God to make us holy, we're praying to be set apart in a way that we understand that we're no longer living just for ourselves that we're no longer seeking glory for ourselves, but that God is now setting us apart for the sake of others. This is why when we overhear this prayer that Jesus prays, in this prayer he holds together the idea both of being made holy with the idea of being sent as he was sent. When this gets missed for us and the idea of being set apart becomes separated from what we're set apart for, it gets replaced easily with the wrong kind of holiness. It turns into this false view of being set apart that means that we should distance ourselves from other people that we're afraid of or set apart to dismiss or to judge others based on their beliefs or their differences or even to think that we're better than others. Maybe a good kind of litmus test for each of us as we're thinking about this idea and considering what it means to be set apart in this way is to consider this. That if being set apart isn't helping you grow in your understanding of God's purposes and what it means to be sent out into the world for the sake of others, then it's not holiness. It's something else entirely. That if your idea of holiness is not leading you towards a deeper love for those around you, there's something else that's shaping how you live that maybe you need to pay attention to. And there's this moment in, in Luke's gospel where Jesus tells this story uh, specifically as a warning to those who are, have a kind of pride or proud of this wrong kind of righteousness or a wrong kind of holiness. And in this story, in this short little parable that he shares, he shares what it would be like to overhear the prayers of two different people. Okay? One is a Pharisee and one is a tax collector. And if you're kind of new to the Bible and you've been reading and you've heard about uh, Pharisees, which is just this religious group uh, with Jesus at the time, you know, it's, it's, it's important to understand uh, that whenever we, it refers to a Pharisee, it doesn't always mean that they're bad guys, okay? But in this story, the Pharisee that Jesus is talking about is symbolic of those who confuse holiness, a healthy kind of holiness, with something else. And the tax collector on the other side is symbolic of someone who's despised by others because of their sin, and while we're not going to look at the, the whole parable today, even though it's really short and I just encourage you later today to, to kind of read it on your own, I want us to quickly look at the part of the story where we overhear the prayer of the Pharisee as he goes to the temple to pray. Here's what Jesus says happens. It says, two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. 
See, as Jesus invites us to overhear this prayer of this Pharisee in this story, this Pharisee is symbolic of someone who confuses being set apart for others with being set apart to judge others, to think that he's better than others. He confuses holiness with this, even this way of doing good without loving the things of God or without loving those around him. And so instead of desiring this healthy kind of holiness, he replaces with it with almost this kind of legalism, this legalism that seeks glory for himself instead of glory for God. Now, I, I have to confess, as I read this earlier today, and as I think even in past, my past kind of few weeks or months, maybe I haven't really prayed this prayer, but I think of how often maybe I, I kind of at least articulated a version of this in my thoughts. That I said, you know, thank God I'm not like fill in the blank. Thank God I'm not like uh, foolish people who believe in that kind of thing. Or thank God I'm not like people who think that way or have those kinds of opinions. Or thank God I'm not like the people who make those kinds of mistakes. Like thank God I'm not like them. Maybe I'm not alone in that. Maybe you've had similar thoughts as you've thought about those around you and and even wrestled with what it means to be set apart for the sake of others. Jesus, in his prayer to God, prays that we will not be like the Pharisee, that we will not be like the Pharisee who replaces real holiness with something else that seeks glory for himself. Jesus prays that we'll instead be like those who were set apart for the things of God and sent for the sake of others. How can we, as we think about and focus on praying this week, begin to really pray the same way? As we think of kind of the days and the weeks ahead, and as we think of even what's happening in the world and of the people around us, how can we pray and ask God to set us apart in a way that deepens our love for those around us and deepens our love for those who are different than us? To be set apart not from those but for those with different preferences or different beliefs or opinions as we think about our neighbors or our coworkers or even our interactions online. That God would deepen our love and draw us near to those who feel far from him or those who are struggling even with guilt and shame of some of their own mistakes. This week, would you just join with us in taking some time to ask God to restore in you this kind of holiness that isn't about looking good or getting glory even if it's just a little bit, for yourself, but about desiring to be set apart for the sake of others. What would it look like even to take some time this week and the coming weeks to confess and to surrender the things that are getting in the way of how God wants to shape this holiness in you, to even just take the time to ask God what some of those things might be. As Jesus continues his prayer, to God the Father, and his, the disciples over here, he will now uh, connect what it means to reflect God's glory that we talked about and to be set apart for others with what it now means to live with a certain kind of unity as his church. Here's what he prays next. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What an amazing prayer. Jesus prays that as we're shaped in a way that gives glory to God and not to ourselves, and as we're set apart for the things of God, that it will leave us and move us to this special kind of unity that we model to the world. 
And he prays that we experience not just any kind of unity, but he says a perfect or complete unity that can only come from God. He prays for the kind of unity that will draw others even in the world to know how much God loves them. Now, this word unity, as we look at this prayer, it's, it's you know, one of those words that for us growing up inside or outside of the church has become such a cliche that it's so easy to lose its meaning or its, its impact for us. And in some way, you know, this is even a really easy prayer for each of us to pray because most of us or all of us even would agree that unity is something that we want, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and just prays for more division, especially as we think of things happening around the world. We don't pray that we would just be more divided, But here's kind of the real key to this prayer that we really need to pay closer attention to. That it's easy for us, for each of us, to be united around the wrong kinds of things. That if we're not careful, we can pursue the wrong kind of unity instead of the kind of unity that comes from God. One of the biggest ways I think we can pursue the wrong kind of unity is to confuse unity with conformity. Okay? That instead of being drawn to the right kind of unity, we're often drawn to what looks like more like a picture of conformity. You know, if you haven't heard that word before, conformity is a kind of just twisted unity that's built on a kind of consensus that's based on everyone having the same opinion. Conformity can even mean being unified, but around the wrong kinds of convictions. As if just being unified with those who share the, the same beliefs means automatically that it's the right kind of unity. And often conformity is built around whoever has the loudest voice or the kind of leader who even seeks glory for themselves and seeks their own agenda, even if it's at the expense of other people. This kind of unity looks more like conformity, that looks more like conformity, is more like a cult than the kind of unity that God calls us to. I remember this, uh, this moment in high school, I think it was in, it was in grade 9 or sec 3, and uh, I was in my English class and we were learning how to debate. Okay? And I remember it was part of our marks to debate with each other uh, in pairs, and I was partnered with my best friend at the time, and we were up against two girls, and what we had to argue was why boys were fundamentally better than girls. Okay? Some of you are probably still having this debate or argument at home. You should just give up. If you're boys, you're going to lose. Okay? I'm kidding. Uh, but I remember this moment where I, like, it was so clear that I just lost this debate for myself and my partner. And everybody in the class knew it, okay? We were arguing, we were going back and forth, and I just had this moment of, like, uh, I don't know what it was. It was, the, it was a bad moment. But I, but I, but I kind of shared, like, you know, it's not that boys are better than girls. It's just that they're better at some things. And right away, everybody knew I just lost the debate, right? They're all like, ooh, and then, like, they all joined the girls, and that was it. I was done. And I remember just in that moment, like, obviously it's, it's helpful and healthy to learn to debate and how that skill translates in a lot of situations. But I do remember a confusion as a student that I lost this debate because my arguments weren't fierce enough or my conviction wasn't strong enough for something that I didn't actually even believe. And again, that debate, you know, debating in our, in our, in our, has a kind of a healthy place in our world, in our society, but so much of our world is shaped around how we're taught to interact with this sort of debate mentality. Now, I know for most of us, that's not really on its own and new ideas for us. And typically, we know kind of the, the dangers or that it's not wise to always trying to be winning an argument instead of having real conversation with others. 
But the way this kind of debate culture has shaped us and how we interact with our world can go even deeper than that, and it can be much more subtle even in the influence that it has in our lives, especially as we think about this temptation towards conformity in place of real unity. Because so much of our world is shaped by this idea that we should just always reward those who have the strongest or the loudest voice or the strongest argument. Or to build a kind of consensus around whoever holds the strongest convictions, no matter how crazy or even polarizing those are. It's a conformity that actually rewards whoever argues the best. And because of this, we're all tempted by this sort of tribal mentality we see in so much of our world that awards points and gives glory to one group of people who are in one camp at the expense of those in another camp. We feel the pressure to join in even with others in following the loudest voices. And we feel the pressure even to pick a side instead of seeking middle ground or giving room for real conversation. And this way of replacing unity with conformity even happens in our churches. So many leaders can be tempted to replace real unity with a kind of conformity that puts them at the center instead of God and that pushes others away. Earlier this past week, uh, Pastor Dam and I were together and we watched this short uh, clip of an interview between these two thoughtful uh, church, church thinkers or church leaders. And in the clip, they talked about this trend that they're seeing in North America where some churches are growing quickly in numbers because of from flocks of people who are leaving their other churches to go to this church. And what they're seeing is that it's happening almost immediately after this church puts out a statement that strongly judges or demonizes a group of people. Isn't that crazy? Like, think about the implications of this. That there's all this, this whole growth stat- strategy for some churches that's based on attacking other groups of people. But it's mistaken by this kind of healthy unity for the church because it results in a certain kind of growth. This is the kind of approach that really gives glory to ourselves instead of giving glory to God. It's a kind of glory that goes to a leader or a group who's doing the judging and it can seem justified when the results are growth in numbers or a consensus or lots of likes even on social media. And it can seem justified in a world that tells it it's okay even to get a bit of glory for ourselves, even if it's at the expense of others. It's a picture even of the wrong kind of unity that's built on the wrong kind of glory. But the kind of unity that Jesus prays for is so different. Instead, Jesus says to his disciples, don't do anything that will bring you glory. Instead, seek the kind of, of glory, this, seek the kind of unity that brings glory to the Father. You know, Pastor Dom, if you were here, mentioned last week that the world will be confused because of how we love each other when we learn to love each other with the right kind of unity. When we seek the right kind of unity, the world will be confused when we love each other and seek unity despite our differences. When we show the kind of unity that models that we're able to disagree without demonizing each other or pushing each other away. And in this prayer that we overhear that we've been looking at, Jesus prays that we will be those who give glory to God, the Father, by reflecting the same kind of love for one another that he modeled for us and for the world. And one of the clearest ways that he models this kind of love is by washing his disciples' feet. On this same night uh, that we're looking at this prayer where they overhear Jesus' prayer to the Father, just a few moments earlier when they're sitting around this same table, he begins to wash each of the disciples' feet as a symbol of his love for them. 
And then he tells them to go and to do the same. To wash one another's feet as an example to the world of the kind of love for one another that can only come from God. And then soon after Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he tells them this, and I want to wrap up kind of this morning with these words from Jesus. Here's what he says. He says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer. Where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you. You can put that back up. New command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. When we model this kind of love for one another, the world will be confused by this kind of unity that can only come from God. The world will be confused by the kind of unity that doesn't seek glory for ourselves, but that glorifies God and that points others to God's ways and the mystery of God's ways. As we begin uh, uh, moving into a new series next week, and as we're entering the season of Lent, as we move towards Easter and prepare for Easter, uh, we'll begin to do that. And as we shared earlier, one of the ways that we're preparing to enter this season as a church is to take some time this Wednesday to gather in person and to pray. And to ask, one of the things we're going to do is just to ask God to reveal the things in us that are keeping us from being set apart for the things of God, for the sake of others. The things in us that maybe are keeping us from modeling this kind of unity and this kind of love that he calls each of us to. Maybe for you, as you think about this and as you're wrestling with this, a relationship comes to mind. Or maybe a certain attitude that you've been holding on to or something that's distracting you or just keeping you from letting God do this kind of work in you. This weekend and over the next several weeks as we move into our new series of Lead, would you even enter into this season with us by taking some time to pray that God would shape you to have a deeper love for those around you? For those inside of the church, for your neighbors, for your family, for your coworkers, for the city. To pray that God would shape you in a, in a desire to be holy. In a desire to seek unity over the things that really matter to him. As we think about this and as we kind of prepare to, to pray in this way, one of the promises that we have as we kind of enter the season, as we pray to God for these things, is that Jesus is already praying for us. He's also praying for these things alongside us. That as we pray these things, we overhear how Jesus is also praying to God the Father on our behalf. And as we pray, we join with Jesus in asking and entrusting God to shape us and to restore us and to renew us as he sets us apart for his purposes and as we're sent out to model his love for the world. We need to know that Jesus is praying for us in this way to ask that God would do these things in us. And so just as we, as we think about this, as we kind of enter the season of, of praying, I just want to invite as we wrap up this morning, to invite you to stand as we close. Let's pray together. Father God, just as Jesus has prayed for us and is praying for us now, we join with him in just asking that you would make us holy.
God, we worship you as the one who is holy. And Jesus is the one who models a kind of holiness that is nothing like anything in this world. Yet as we pray, we ask that you would shape us in a way that doesn't distance us from the world and from those around us, but that uh, you would give us a deeper understanding and a deeper desire and sense of purpose of how you are calling us for the sake of others. Would you shape that in us as individuals and as the church, as we think of this next season ahead and as we, we kind of don't know maybe even what's in store in this next season, would you shape us in a way that you, we know that you're preparing us for what you have in store? God, would you just as well just shape in us the kind of unity that would just confuse those around us because it could only be from you. Would you help us even as we enter the season of Lent and walking to Easter, even just to repent and to turn from the ways that we have uh, maybe pursued the wrong kind of unity or, or even created division? God, would you just help us to turn from that and to uh, look ahead uh, to the things that you're going to do in us and in our church and the ways that you will just help us to model for, for the city and for uh, the world around us what it looks like to give glory to you alone, God, as Jesus gives you glory. We just thank you for this, this, this morning and uh, just for your presence here, just knowing that uh, by your spirit, you go before us, and again, that you are praying all these things for us. Would you help us to just keep in step with you and to participate with you in that way? To be with us now and as we go from here, we ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Yeah, hey, thanks, everyone. So good to be with you this morning. Again, uh, just look out on social media and for the website. Sign up for our prayer night if you missed that, and uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Have a good week.